Hello and welcome to episode 361 of the award-winning Fergo on the Freak podcast. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can follow me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, this man needs a very precise introduction because he is the award-winning League Freak. You can also find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well, award-winning host Andrew Ferguson. Andrew's the real deal, Ferguson. Uh, how I've, I've now actually gone to, um, gone and got my middle name changed. Mm-hmm. The, just, the not, I haven't changed my middle name, I must say. I've just included the real deal in there. Yeah, it was about time, really. Um, it's been a good few days. We've been basking in the glory of our greatness. And it's now time that we will finally read our emails that our readers have sent in. We've got some, I have. I promise I haven't read any of them beforehand because I like to be surprised. So we'll see what comes up during this episode. Sounds fantastic. Um, probably also other reason why you haven't read them yet is it takes a long time for it to load and you just can't be asked. Well, possibly. But I've got it all ready to go now, so it's, oh, it's fantastic. That's okay. what that random talk was for the last three hours before Shit. this. He's just getting that thing loaded up. Yeah, I had to finger the right button, and it oh, does it automatically. That's going to sound smooth and intentional now. It's just going to go straight into it. Oh, that's why I heard me licking my fingers. Okay, mm. here we go. The first one is from Matto, and the subject is Logo Schmogo. And he says, what makes a good logo in today's climate and in the past? Um... We can't give away our secrets, let's be honest. <laughs> I would say as long as it doesn't have a bear on it. <laughs> um, tell you what, if I knew, I'd probably be going around making logos. Making logos, yeah. I think this day and age, uh, it, like companies and things like simpler logos, um, I think a good logo is something that you can get, see at a glance and you know what it is representing. And another good logo is one that if somebody says, imagine a Coke logo, for instance, and you can imagine what's on there, but there are a lot of details in there that you don't really recognize as being their logo until you really look at it. Like on the Ford logo, on the F, there's a little squiggle on, on part of the F. A lot of people don't realize that until it's pointed out to them. So I think things like that, I find them interesting. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't mind going into a bit of detail about the etymology of the beginnings of our logo, and it was just mm-hmm. me fucking around on paint, because that's all I do. And I had the logo you use for yourself on your website and a picture of a microphone and just words on black. That that was it. I can't and, remember. And um, our... our um, Logo designer, professional, looked at and went, well, that's fucking shithouse. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, she's gone. Fine, you know what? You useless pricks, just leave me with it. I'll go fucking fix it up for you, all right? And, you know, $345,000 later, mm-hmm. here we are. That was our first logo. And then yeah. the second one, the one that – because we've got two. We've got the one that comes up when you when you get a new episode – 
And then we've got the one that goes out on the websites, which is it's basically <clears throat> it's basically Andrew and myself in cartoon form, and we're wearing hoodies. Yeah. So, uh, and we consider both of them our logo. But anyway. Yeah, well, you know, we'll rotate them so we can win the award next year as well. Exactly. Exactly. Um, what do you reckon is the best logo in the NRL, by the way? Oh, for a, for a team? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. See, I, I like the, the logos that we had in the late 80s, early 90s, but I think that might just be a, like a romantic thing because that's when I first started watching the game. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's, I don't know. The, 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 I mean, the Tigers one's pretty good, and it's because you know, so is the Panthers one. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to fuck up a cat. Yeah, yeah. you mean, can make I a cat look pretty aggressive. My first thought was the bunnies logo, or like that. No, uh, just just the bunny itself, just the bunny though. No, you don't like the bunny. No, I, I like a sporting logo to be of a team that's got a something on there that's to be feared. Okay. And it's got to be some sort of animal that can rip your ass off and chew the ends out of you. Okay. And a rabbit's not going to do that. Okay. Um, no. Neither is a chicken. I'd self-censor so hard then. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm trying my best to try and coax some sort of controversy out of you, and you're doing bloody well. I've seen um, some rabbits do some vicious things to people, let me tell you. That's <laughs> amazing things. I suppose the, uh, the roof of my... Going to the same area there. I guess it would, yeah. Um, that's another FIBA one. The Titan one, I think. The the upgrade is an improvement, but I'm still kind of meh about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Broncos, the Cowboys one's dog shit, let's be honest. I don't mind the Cowboys one. It's yeah, the Broncos it's... one I don't like. I just think they're called Cowboys, and what's on the logo? A set of horns. Yeah, but they're Cowboys because they wrangle fucking steers and stuff you know anytime you need a logo and you've got to have a bloody preamble to try and explain what the fuck it is to me that's not a good logo good point it's a good point i don't know i just like it i i, I think it I, I think it looks cool and then you've got the knights knights one's good st george obviously yeah it's i don't know okay um canberra have got you know they're, I like they're proud about the fact they've got a Viking that went around raping and pillaging communities. That's something that they like, so they like to have that there. Yeah. Melbourne's got a weather system. I mean, what do you fucking do? So you don't like most of the logos then? Nah. That's all a bit meh. Okay, we got another email from Matto, um, and he said it was the subject was video ref, and he said, what are your thoughts on the video ref only being able to watch replays for a try in real time, not frame by frame. No. I yeah. think there's there's some things where you need real time, and that is to determine um, double movement. Mm-hmm. And there are times when you need frame by frame, that is to see if there's been a knock-on. In saying that, you can create the appearance of a knock-on if you slow f- things down too much. Yeah. So you need to see if there's been a separation between, you know, the ball carrying arm or the hand and the ball. Mm. So you know, you can score a try slide along the ground, hold the ball, and the ball will move. Doesn't mean you've lost control of it. Yeah, I agree. but if you slow that down enough, you can probably make it look like you've lost control of it. So, you know, you've got to find the right medium there. But 
the double movement ones, it's stupid watching them slow it down as much as they do to see if they can find an arm being moved. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you should be able to see that shit pretty easily. The other thing they do on the the double movement one is because when you normally when you're sliding your arm across the ground, it doesn't just slide slide smoothly because it's grass and a football and your arm and your elbow and everything. It normally bounces. Yeah. And when they slow it down enough, it looks like the person's trying to bounce the ball forward. And they'll say double movement sometimes, and it clearly wasn't. So um, I think that we need to be more relaxed with the double movement rule. I think we've gotten a little bit away from what it was originally intended for, which was a player gets tackled and then sort of pushes the yeah. ball forward and scores. I think if a, yeah, I think if a player has – if their body has stopped moving mm. and then they reach out to put the ball over the line – Mm. It's got to be pretty black and white. You go, you know, you know what? You've stopped moving towards the try line, but you've promoted the ball anyway. That's clearly a double movement. But if you're sliding along the ground and you've been tackled, and you're still sliding towards the end goal, and you decide to move your arms, I'm I'm okay if they move their arms while they're still moving to try and score a try. But yeah. that's not currently allowed in the rule book. No, no, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, we had Chris sent us an email. And the subject was coaching stocks. And he said, boys, has there ever been a bigger disparity between the top and bottom gaffers in the premiership the last few years? It seems like Robinson and Bellamy are on one level, then Cleary and Bennett, then everyone else, and then Anthony Seabold. <laughs> Look no further, for example, than Ricky Stewart, who's absolutely lost the dressing room at Canberra but the club won't sack him because there's no one else better to replace Sticky. How Walters and Barrett got jobs at two of the biggest clubs in the league, despite their win records and inexperience, is beyond sad. Yeah, look, it's it's tricky. Uh, with Ricky Stewart, though, I mean, the problem there is the rules have changed an awful lot. So what made him successful? Um, you, you know, it was the rules being in a very specific way, and he managed to have... You know, build a roster that worked with that and, you know, had some assistance from a, a pretty handy coach as well in Field Gould. That's not to say he was garbage because he did he did get Canberra back into, you know, goddamn near into a grand final in 2016 and then again, what was it, 2019? 2019, yeah. Um, so he's not, he's not utterly rubbish, but he does seem to be a little... One-dimensional is a bit harsh, but he doesn't seem to have too much variation in his coaching style, so he tends to keep building the same sort of roster the whole time and then sticking with it. Um, but I think genuinely he's, he is a, a handy coach. Mm. Probably just needs someone else around him as a coach to try and, you know, guide him around and be a little bit more versatile with the way he coaches things. He tends to be very, very strict in the way he does things. Um I tend to think he he gets players that he likes and he sticks with them too long. He does. And he 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 overlooks their their deficiencies because he likes their story or the way that they are as a person. And like, it's hard to criticise him for that because that's an admirable trait within a person. Um, But I I think between that and the fact that he has never really had a properly good halfback. And I wonder if that is a combination of 
it, you know, him being a great halfback himself, is he looking for the wrong qualities in a halfback? Is he looking for himself in a halfback and just not finding that guy? Um, and I making, think I, I genuinely think it is the latter one. Yeah. But he knows what he could do as a halfback and he knows what he wanted around him as a halfback. I dare say if you put Ricky Stewart, the player, in a Ricky Stewart coach side, mm. you'd have a premiership winning team because mm-hmm. you've got that strong forward pack that would lay a foundation for him. You'd have a good ball runner at 5'8", and a decent fullback. The The outside backs, their job was just to catch the ball at the end of the play that everyone else had set up and score points. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you put Ricky Stewart, the player, in his Raiders side, they do get an awful lot better. Problem is... How many halfbacks have been around since Ricky Stewart retired that are as good as what Ricky Stewart was? John's Thurston, Cronk. That yeah, that'd be it. I in fact I wouldn't put Cronk on Ricky Stewart's no. level personally. That's what I. But yeah, that's that's the yeah, caliber. They're, yeah. they're they're the three that are the closest. Yeah, and John's obviously would would surpass him, but um, Thurston is on the same level. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree and with that. that. That makes it harder, I think, as a coach. It's it's rough trying to be a, a world-class half and then becoming a coach. Yeah, and look, he's. I think that if he, for whatever reason, got the right halfback, he'd be fine. But I don't know that he can recruit that guy for that reason. Yeah. Um, I think that he would be looking at things that would be a problem. And, and not, not really a problem, but a problem in his eyes because he's rating them against himself. That's my that's my guess anyway. Yeah. As for um, the, the disparity between the coaches, I think he's right. I think the top – and I think his ratings are pretty good too um, in terms of Bellamy. I think Bellamy's the best, definitely. Robinson's very good, although I think it's easy to be good at the Roosters with the way that they spend money. Um, Bennett, obviously, can't argue with him. Cleary, now he's got a premiership. He did it against Bennett. He ran well, the thing a... is, though, though, I mean, the thing with Cleary is he was he was mid-table coach for the majority of his career other than the last two seasons. Yeah, but he got... I'm, I not, mean, saying that he's, I'm not saying he's bad, but I'm just saying yeah. that there is the potential for any of the coaches out there to get better. The thing about Cleary I liked... I, I liked Cleary when he was at the Warriors, and I thought when... They, he asked them for a contract extension and they wouldn't pay him one. I thought it was the biggest mistake the Warriors ever made in their club's history because Penrith got him straight away. They said, do you want longer deal? Yeah, we'll give you one. And he left. Um, now, we know how it ended up. He left the, the club and then come back again. But I liked him all the way back then. I, I liked his demeanour as a coach. And, you know, I think that when they've had off seasons under him, the Panthers I'm talking about, it's been disappointing in terms of I've sort of thought, man, I thought Ivan Cleary was better than this, but he's gone on to build a bloody good team and, you know, it's a, their premiership winners now. That's not to say he's the greatest coach in the world because he's won a premiership because so is Michael Hagan, and Michael Hagan <laughs> was a garbage coach. So... um but Cleary's record's pretty damn good. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Mm. Um, I was just 
purely using him as a, as an example to say that um, there's a lot of coaches out there that are mid table that can become premiership winners and can improve and get better. Mm-hmm. And so I think it might be a bit early to criticize too many coaches and say that there's a big disparity. I think some are probably in challenging roles that they may not be able to rectify or just waiting for a better opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's, there's an awful lot of things that have got to go right to, to land a premiership. Um, one of those coaches who I, I'm still not convinced on though is Adam O'Brien. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't get what the charm is there. Um, not, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing improvement. I'm not no. seeing anything that uh, you can look. You can watch the the nights over the last couple of years of his reign and say, "Wow, he's doing something I don't understand." It, it's more along the lines of, "I don't understand why he's doing these things." <laughs> yeah, the the night's attack seems to be getting gradually worse. Mm-hmm which I find astounding. I mean, this is a team that finished seventh this year, and they had the second-worst attack. Only the last-place Bulldogs was worse. And that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's not even as though they didn't recruit players as well. Like, they, ah. they went on a pretty pretty heavy recruitment drive. Um, he was given an okay base to start with, and... Yeah, I, I'm just not seeing it yet. I think that if they don't start well this year, he'll get the punt. And he's had, he, like, there's very few times you see a coach get punted where you say, you know what, he had his chance. And Adam O'Brien has had a bloody good chance with this night's team. Yeah, last year, sorry, in 2020. Yeah, last year, 2020, they scored 421 points in 20 games. Mm-hmm. This year, they scored seven points more and they had four more games. That's crazy. I, I don't know how he's managed to make their defence so much worse. And they had the second worst defence. Oh, sorry, he's made their attack so much worse, but they also had the second worst defence out of the teams in the top eight. Um, actually, out of the top nine. And Canberra were only seven points worse. Mm-hmm. And they were tenth. So it's not like he, he wasn't setting the world on fire with attack or defence. 15th in attack and, you know, 10th in defence. It's not really anything to be gloating about. And, they, I mean, they, they made the finals, but it shows you how atrociously lopsided this contest was this year. Mm-hmm. Like, Parramatta finished 15-9 and nine at 6th place. They were the 6th place team, and only 6 teams had a better than 50% record this year. The Knights were 7th with 12 wins, 12 losses. Just an atrocious season. So Adam O'Brien's got a reasonably good looking record because he's made the finals this year. Mm. It wasn't that convincing a season. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I'm uh, I'm I'm not convinced. And he's got a he's got a reasonably good enough roster there. I mean they they won half their games this year. I think if they had a half decent coach who knew how to coach attack a little bit which shouldn't be hard when you've got Caelan Ponga on your side. They should be doing a lot, lot better. They really should. Um, I tell you what, uh, up at Brisbane, I thought Walters did way better than I expected. I think he was, you know, early on I was a little bit worried, but I think by the end of the year I saw improvement in that 
that Broncos side, considering that he took over a broken team, a team that was worse than they'd been in a, a couple of years in terms of talent, and he made them play better than they had in a couple of years. Um, they started to become a little bit better defensively, which is a, a bit of a miracle, considering that they had learned all the worst lessons. And it'll be interesting to see how they go next year. So I think it's too early to say that Walters was a bad choice. Um, but it, in, next year is going to be interesting. Barrett, I saw nothing out of Barrett that made me think that he's a first-grade coach still. Uh, that's kind of I, I, I don't get the fascination teams have with, with getting Trent Barrett as coach. I, I don't see it. I don't know what they see in him and think, yeah, he's a good option. Yeah, there's just n- nothing at all. Not one single thing that I have ever looked at and thought, oh, he did good there, you know? I mean, he was at, he was at Penrith last year. Everyone's going, yeah, he's, you know, talking him up. He's been a big part of why Penrith's attack was so good. And his first year away from the club, they win a premiership. Yeah, it's it's not a good look. <laughs> Remember they were calling him the architect? Yes. Yeah, that was, really, that, that was the height of his career, really, his coaching career. Oh, my God. Never mind. Um, okay, let's go on to the next question. The next question is from, and he's done a wonderful thing here. He has written how his name is pronounced because I would have said it the wrong way. So it's Owen. And the subject is growing the game in Ireland. So he says, hi, lads. Is his his first name spelt with the letter E? Yes, it is. (laughs) Uh, So it's Owen. Uh, He says, hi, lads. Greetings and best wishes from Ireland. I love Irish people. Uh, the The club game has had a reasonable year here with 12 teams fielding in two divisions, which is an improvement on previous years with three new teams fielding this year. However, it appears that no major progress is being made in growing the game beyond one or two strongholds. Uh, The nation's appetite for rugby union has dwindled due to the mixed fortunes of the Irish national team recently and the lack of interesting characters in the game. How best would you see Ireland becoming stronger as a league nation, giving union is less popular than in previous years? It's worth noting the games organisers here are extremely cash-strapped. Also, shout out to the mighty... Oh, man, you could have you could have shown me the phonetic, you know, way to say these names. Clog... Okay. Clodalkin. <laughs> Crusaders, <laughs> Division Two, All Island Champions. Thanks, Owen. Yeah, you definitely pronounced that correctly. I'm impressed. I, think I did. I think I did. Yeah, yeah. If he if he if he gets back in touch to correct you, he's definitely taking the piss because I'm certain that was right. You know what? <laughs> you know what they would need? They just mm. need two teams in Ireland to make this work. One team in Northern Ireland and one in one in, <laughs> one in the, the Republic of Ireland, and Jeez. just have them play each other in an Origin game and just destroy one another. People will stop watching State of Origin here just to watch the two Irish teams go at one another because it would be brutal. I wonder if... um, Look, I don't know much... I don't know a great deal about it, but I wonder if that would be too much. Like, I I understand where you're coming from, and I think they would want to beat the fuck out of one another, but I wonder if you put that... 
look, look to take the take a bit of the ill feeling out at the end. Mm. They all finish the game. They get up all bloodied and busted. They shake each other's hands and they just have a sculling competition and just so you can get pissed the best. And they can sing Irish shanties and stuff. Holy shit! This is, you know what? I know Irish people that would say that's being racist. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you just say they then they could dance the jig and fucking go and find a <laughs> leprechaun under a rainbow? Jeez, Andrew. I'm not racist. I said nothing about leprechauns. You just had to go to the next level, didn't you? Um, I, I was talking about the ones that are in Bondi that have that experience. All they do is get shit-faced all the time. I figured, you know, one in, all in. <laughs> I, look, how would I do it? I would say it'd be great. I, th- I think if you could have something like that, that would be great for Irish Rugby League, but it would, it would would you would need to be really careful with it. Oh, yeah, of I, course you do. I, I think that... Um, Having a Super League team would be really good, obviously. Uh, outside of that, I think that it's internationals and it getting people a- watching international an Irish international team and having them play consistent games. And saying to, to Irish people, like, this team plays five times every year and you can watch it and you can barrack for them and, and see them play France and Scotland and Wales and whoever else. Um, I think that would be a big step because I I think that obviously Ireland, it's not a giant market and obviously there's not a a great deal of money there at the grassroots. And so you need that, that big loud injection of his rugby league. Take a look at it, you know? Yeah. In all seriousness, I think the, the smart thing for them would be to not go through the RFL because they, they decimate anything that's not Northern English. It's just what they do. They yeah. cannibalise anything that doesn't come from that, that freeway out there. Mm-hmm. So if there was a way that they could get involved in some sort of um, European competition, even if it's a club competition or an international one, but try and get themselves on that stage and set and get other European nations, get Scotland in there, mm-hmm. um, Wales, uh, France, obviously, try and get those nations that are all pretty close so travel doesn't become too much of a financial burden. And if it's just one team they've got to manage, as I said, either be a club team, which you can get investors involved in, or be the international side if you, if you like, and somehow have them playing in a regular competition during the same period that the Super League games are going on, maybe that could be a better avenue because I'm just, I'm almost certain that Ireland could find a better person to run a rugby league competition than whatever England's brought up with ever since Morris Lindsay left. And that's not saying Morris Lindsay was fantastic, but he's the best they've had in the last 30 years. Yeah, definitely. And the other thing I would do if if I was involved in Irish rugby league is I would forge links with uh, France at every opportunity and oh, yeah. try, try and get low-grade French teams over to to play against them if possible um you know you might be able to get teams over there that come over for that experience because it would be a bit different like them going and and playing in england isn't anything interesting but maybe going and playing rugby league in ireland would be interesting um as for the the local scene and how you make that better i think it it sounds boring but it's just like it's hard work it's getting into schools it's you know, 
the all of the community stuff that you've it's just grafting you know it's just it, it, there's nothing glamorous about it um and you Sorry. kind of need all of it to work together but that's the basis of rugby league that if you have don't have that you don't have anything and, and so that's there's really a way that they can tap into the whole Gaelic football area so approach them and say look we don't want to be don't be seen as a threat to you but if there's a way that we could work together to rally you know essentially rally against rugby union and help each other out I don't think Gaelic football would be too opposed to that. I have a feeling that there would be an issue because I think, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think that it's still amateur. They still hold their amateur status. That's fine. The rugby league's been playing amateur in a lot of countries still. I I think that that would go against a lot of their ethos in that regard. Well, yes and no. It's... If they're still getting paid to play international games, then the club team that they got in, in conjunction with a, a uh, Gaelic football side, that can still remain amateur. And it's only got to be, it's not permanent, just brief period to help them get on their feet. Mm. Even if they play a rugby league game as a, as a warm-up to a, a Gaelic football game or something like that, just get eyes on it. Try and do little things like that. that it's just an option. They've got to think outside the box and... You know, in Australia, and it, it's easy for the NRL to go, you know, we don't want or need the help of other sports because they're big enough to survive without them. They don't need it. But I think it's in the UK, they've got to start thinking outside the box in a way. And as I said it before, I think the RFL needs to be looking at seeing how they can tap into the Premier League and, and get involved somehow in that field, be it a, a double header or something like that, where, you know, there's a soccer game on and then a rugby league game is played after it or vice versa, whatever they need, you know, something like that and have it at the same venue. Try and do things outside the box and try and get it so that you've got a huge audience are starting to tune into this other game that's being played. That's kind of what they've got to do. They've got to find a way to do that in whatever unique way they can. Um, and if they can do it better than what the British do, which I'm fairly certain Ireland could do it because mm-hmm. England's done a hash of a job of it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, England will have no option but to look at the Irish and go, you know what, do you want to have a team in the Super League? Yeah. And they'll go, well, you know, we can keep doing what we're doing here or we can do the Super League thing. Either way, it should be a positive step forward for Ireland, both, you know, within the nation and internationally. The other thing they've got to do too is keep doing those um, regular test matches they were doing prior to COVID where they play against Scotland every year or two yeah. keep that going you know a bit of local competition well they used to a great play thing for both countries they, they played the united states very regularly as well yeah it was wolfhounds versus whether the yank yank score themselves i keep changing their names uh, they're the hawks now they were the tomahawks and now they're the, oh, hawks. They're the hawks now i think the, they'll be, you know they the might other, be the next <laughs> the, you know that the other thing that um I think would be cool for them to do from a development point of view is get an Australian based uh, Irish team together. And I don't know what you'd call them, but it'd have to be like a, a very much an Australian Irish team. And I'm sure the Irish people have a name for them. They're called roofers. Um, but, and, <laughs> is that shamrocks? <laughs> yeah. But, um, <laughs> and have them go over to Ireland every couple of years 
and you know they're not going to be the highest quality players but you might be able to get a certain level of Australian rugby league player over there for the experience to play games against local players and have it as a you know come to Ireland come and see who where your you know your heritage is from and at the same time you're getting experience against playing against maybe a little bit of a higher level of talent than you'd normally find over in that side of the world um and just forge links with everyone that's not english basically and i'm sure that will be very popular with irish people i love irish people i had an irish friend for many years and i miss them dearly so uh I haven't spoken to them for a number of years now. So, um, and it's cool to see the Irish Rugby League from where it was a couple of years ago, where it didn't really exist on, on any sort of level, to see that now it's got a couple of divisions and that, it's fantastic. So keep going because I tell you what, the day Ireland beats England in Rugby League, I will go crazy. It will be oh, so good. I love the Irish too. They've actually got a sense of humour. Yeah, they do. They do. They really do. Oh. Um, and, don't like, and as you said, they don't like the British, which is which is bloody funny as well. Yeah, I don't know what that's like, not liking the British, um, but I can imagine really well. So the next one is from Simpsons NRL memes, one of our friends. Oh, legends. He says, I need some advice. Because we told people, if you want advice, you know, message in. He says, so there's this job. Well, not exactly, but maybe there is this job. It hasn't exactly been advertised yet, but I really want it. It's my dream job. The thing is, I've had this job once before, but there was a big business acquisition and I was unfortunately let go. I'd be willing to move away to get this job, even if it's somewhere exotic like Perth. But I would also like to be able to work from home occasionally if I did get this job and had to move away. What should I do? What should I do, pursue my dream or give up and just realise the world has moved on? Sincerely, more Sydney Bears. I wondered where that was going. Pursue oh. the dream. Pursue the dream. Holy shit. I wondered where that was going. I'm like, he hasn't even told me the job. Um, nah, the dream's dead, man. Dream's been dead for 20 years. Forget no, 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 it. Absolutely. Pursue the dream, okay? And here's why. Okay. Because... Every day, every year you pursue that dream, it gives me a good week and a half without any West Tiger story in the media. <laughs> Do you know why? Every now and then I just need a break, and it's been fantastic. Norse are back again, and I'm like, oh, this is great. This is great fun for another week and a half, and then they'll be back to, you know, the Tigers. Well, they're doing it now. The Tigers need to sack Luke Brooks. Going fucking get off it. So it's been good. It's been good. I had uh, I did a little bit of research last night because I was. I was saying how Norse are dead. Uh, and I had somebody that was getting a little bit upset about me saying Norse were dead. And so they were, you know, asking me questions about the Perth team and the Adelaide team, and I kept on just bringing it back to Norse. Anyway, I did a little bit of research, and I found out that when North Sydney were premiers last, <laughs> the movie to see at the cinema was Nosferatu. Do you know what that movie is? Uh, I have heard of it, yes. Yeah, it's a, it's basically the first... It's a black and white silent picture yeah. that is about basically Dracula, uh, yeah, a vampire. It, it, it was a movie that came out before what they called Talkies came along. Yes. 
Yeah. And talkies were films where you could actually hear people talking in them. Yeah, and it would come up with, like, it would show the scene and then there'd be a screen with words that you'd have to read yes. that would be, like, telling you a little bit about what's going on. Whether it's like a, a moving comic book. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's You know what? I watched a lot of that movie because you can watch Nosferatu on YouTube and it's creepy. It's a pretty damn good movie. It's really interesting. Was, was YouTube around when the Bears last played in the NRL? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Google wasn't. Um, there was a whole lot of things that weren't around when the iPhones. Bears were last in the NRL. iPhones. iPhones. Anyone um, under the age of 23 currently in the NRL? Yes, <laughs> that's a good one. So, yeah. It was, and the best part was I could say these things. Like, I can say, like, Nosferatu was out the last time Bears were premiers. And nobody can say, oh, yeah, well, what about the Panthers when they were premiers? It's fantastic. It's great. i got a year of this shit. Uh, anyway, NR, uh, Simpsons NRL memes also has some more. He says, also, the subject of play development has come up again. What are your thoughts on the NRL giving clubs an annual sum of money to help further foster relationships with amateur competitions throughout the world? Places like Greece, Greece, Eastern Europe, Brazil, Jamaica, and Africa are potential gold mines for talent. If we have the patience, clubs can provide these competitions with equivalent training resources and players slash coaches could be encouraged to holiday in those places during the off-season and visit teams. After a few years, offer one-year scholarships to come and play in feeder teams for 12 months. If it works out, sign them on for longer. Anyway, boys, love your work, and remember, as much as your lockdown sucked, at least it wasn't in Tamworth. <laughs> Home of two competition-sized velodromes because one was built on the wrong incline. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. I wonder if Darren Maguire oversaw that one. Oh, man. Um, yeah, look, I... I'm I'm all for the NRL uh, or the NRL clubs investing in other countries, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I've got no confidence whatsoever that they will because it's a lot of money for very little return. Because yeah. you know you you could end up pumping money into that sort of thing for fifteen years and not get a single player out of it. True, um, and I also think there's the possibility that um, for a certain countries if an nrl club was sniffing around to do that if i was a rugby union competition in that that country i would say we need to grease the wheels so that they do invest money and then we've got a you know a a talent pool that we can pull from in our own country that's been funded by the nrl yeah so that's that's a big problem i think it's better nrl teams in terms of looking at talent overseas i think they're better off talent scouting individuals to be honest well I, I don't mind them looking at other countries but i think it's got to be a country where they've already got established competitions mm-hmm. so i'd like to see and not, and not go to shit tons of countries all in one go i'd like to see the nrl um you know investing a bit a bit into the french rugby league yeah that would be cool. i think that would be huge over there if you did that for 10 years and you did it long enough to improve the uh, quality of the French Rugby League, even by 10%, 15%, that's enough for them to beat England. Yeah. And that's enough to help 
then build even further and further and keep growing upon that. And then you can just go, right, we're going to move our development goals over to maybe the United States. Yeah. A lot of potential over there. So you get into that market as well and start doing that over there. And I think if they did things in those in that sort of um, mindset, that would probably be more effective. And it might actually help these other countries to quickly get themselves set up and established so that they can attract the NRL interest that way. And who knows? England might crack onto it after about 45 years and go, that's not a bad idea. We should do that in 50 years. Yeah, exactly. You know, the the thing I, if I was, had all the NRL clubs in a room and they started talking about the talent pool, I would try and, because all the NRL clubs got a $1 million bonus this year, so that $16 million bucks went out. I would try and convince them to say it would be a good idea to put on uh, a little bit like the NFL Combine, where you put on a an opportunity for players that are outside of the league or traditional competitions to come and show what they've got physically and talent-wise to NRL clubs because NRL minimum wage isn't too bad of a wage, for especially for a young athlete that, you know, there's a lot of sports where the NRL minimum wage is a big step up from what they can earn in other sports. We tend to think of like NBA, NFL, stuff like that. But, you know, just below the NFL level, a lot of players and athletes would look at what the minimum wages in the NRL and say, geez, if I could earn that, I'm set, you know? So um, I think that they should set up some sort of system where they invite talent from around the world who wants to, to try out for NRL clubs. Um, have them all in the same place, put them through, you know, different tests, play some exhibition games between the players involved and maybe a lower grade side, see what these players have. And I think it would become something that it would get, it would get interest from a lot of athletes from different sports. And if you just get one or two every couple of years, that you might not have been getting before, it's worth it. Oh, absolutely. You don't need to get a ton out of it to be able to make it work. And if you just get one of those makes in the NRL, even for one season, mm-hmm. the impact that has back back in the uh, home nation is huge. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to look at just um, how many Phil- – uh, sorry, not Phil- Papua New Guinea players are now coming into the NRL. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive, and it's only going to get more and more. Yeah, and I mean, look at uh, Noah Nadruku. You know, it, there weren't too many um, Fijian players before then. I know there were Fijian players, but not too many. Um, and just him being in the NRL gave the game a little bit of interest over there. And look how much Fijian talent we have now. It's outrageous. Yeah. Um, same thing with Jason Talmalolo. When Jason Talmalolo decided that he wanted to represent Tonga like the interest from Tonga in rugby league went through the roof and so like you can jag that sort of support with just a few players here and there and if you know the NRL set up a system where you know elite college athletes that maybe weren't quite up to the NFL they you know and they're looking around and they want to continue their sporting career and they think to themselves well I can go 
and try out for Canadian football, or I can try this competition in Australia and earn an all right wage. I can earn a living being an athlete. If you can get those players or South African rugby union players who are just looking for a change of lifestyle and this is an opportunity for them, it's something that I think the NRL should explore. Absolutely. There's got to always be another market to look into. Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, next email is from Confused of Hull. And the subject is Scared to Come Out. The message is Dear F and F, I am am a 40-year-old man from a Hull KR supporting family. You bastard. You poor... (laughs) Poor bastard. They are mad for the Robins. My mum has a picture of Roger Millwood on her bedside table. I once caught my dad having some alone time with a photo of Clint Newton. Who hasn't done that, by the way? They will only... They will... Hang on. Oh, they will only have red Sorry, and I white... Sorry, I thought you were having a bit of alone time then with Clint Newton. No, no, I'm trying to... Uh, there was a bit of a spelling mistake. No, there was a spelling mistake and a uh, a word you don't often see. They will only have red and white bobbles on their Christmas tree. Their kitchen is red. Their front room wallpaper is red and white. They are simply obsessed. My brother and sister, too, are now bringing up their families in the same tradition. I've always felt like I don't fit in and have often wondered whether I was adopted. You see, I don't have red blood. I have black blood. I feel a natural pull to the west of the city and can't understand why anyone would choose Clint Newton in a KR kit over Colin Best in an FC one. When I see a Robin, I want to shoot the bastard. How do I come out as an FC fan to my family? Is it possible to do so and not be disowned by those I love, despite their flawed judgment? Please help me. Well, I was going to say, before you jump in with a much better option, what you should do is get in touch with Gareth Ellis. Get him to pop around and say, I want this guy to be my dad. I know he's about the same age as me, but he looks like he's old enough to be my dad. Tell me why he should not be my dad. How are you a better father than this man? They won't give you anything. They'll go start bobbling on about Robin's this and KR that. You go, I'm going off with the bloke who they named a corridor after. Okay, so you want my advice? Okay, so you wait until they're watching their favourite movie, which is Train Spotting, because they feel a real connection to the characters. <laughs> and they're watching Train Spotting, and they're all really, really relaxed and docile. I don't know why. It's just what they do when they watch Train Spotting. And they're all in their red and white shit, and they've all got, you know, for some reason they put, like, uh, some shit around their arms. I don't understand that. But anyway, and you go in there wearing your fucking your black hoops, you know, the good guy jersey, as I like to call it. You go in there and you start glassing them one by one. You just glass them with bottles, obviously. And they'll get the message eventually because as you're glassing them with bottles, they'll be like, 
oh my god we've got a bottle thrower in the family now but you're establishing your dominance right now the next day when they kind of come out of their uh flu-like symptoms they're going to wonder if it was all real but eventually they're going to sit down and watch train spotting again and when they do you do it again and you just get it into their subconscious while they're in that state you know and eventually you'll be able to say look i i've got a job i i i'm quite well respected in the community i uh i own my own car i didn't steal my phone i have electricity on it my house and they're gonna say holy shit you're from west hull aren't you now and you're gonna go yeah yeah and they're just going to accept it and the reason they'll accept it is because they're not worried about what football team you support at the moment they need their next fix that's all they care about so that's how you do it there you go that's uh if that if that's not thorough then i don't know what is i'm not saying that all hull kr supporters are addicted to heroin some of them like meth now, the next... Are you saying, though, that all heroin addicts are Hulkaya supporters? <laughs> that would be a good one, too. Okay, <laughs> so the next one is from Marky. His is a very long email, but we'll go through it anyway. He says, three questions and a compliment, and then he says, definitely not four weddings and a funeral sponsored by Kmart Plates. I don't know what that means, but we'll go with it. Hi, guys. Firstly, I just want to say that you guys are... By, uh, by far and away my favourite NRL podcast. That's really nice to say, Marky. Thank you for that. Even if I don't always agree, which is rare that I don't agree, I love you guys. Uh, I love that you guys present your opinions in an objective form and aren't afraid to give opinions on News Limited and Nine and not just one or the other. I admire the honesty and truthfulness of what you guys do and hope it can continue. It's going to continue. It's, it <laughs> continues until we die. Yeah, we yeah. basically said until we die. Yeah. And even then, it, it's got to be both of us gone for the podcast end. Yeah. We've yeah. made it pretty clear that if one of us goes, the other one just has to start the podcast with, well, the other one's not here anymore. Um, so um, moving on. Yeah. It's pretty much exactly. it. There'll be no fucking around with emotions and feelings and stuff. Emotions. Too old for that, that crap. Exactly. I would love a few more historical analysis episodes where you look back in depth at times in the NRL, like your Super League War episodes, which were my favourite. Putting them up as paid Patreon content or something would be great. You know what? We uh, will never charge for the podcast ever. Um, We'll always just put our stuff on the main feed. Um, That's something that we'll always do. We've talked about this. We've we've never had an interest in doing that, have we? No, we we've got a fair separate projects that we do, yeah. um, but not for the podcast. No, the podcast is um, that's us giving back to you. Yeah, yeah, and like if you want to contribute to the patreons, our, our patreons, you're more than welcome to. But yeah, we we won't be putting anything behind paywalls that we do with the podcast. I don't think we either of us do with anything we do. It's kind no, of there's nothing on my, on the Rugby League Project website that's paywalled either. Everything in there yeah. is free to use for everyone. So people are donating there um, because they want to help out, and that's all we've ever done. We've n- never put anything behind, you know, members-only top shit and stuff like that. And I know that 
your website's exactly the same at uh, leaffreak.com. There's nothing paywall there. Nothing, nothing at all. I've had, I've actually had people in the past saying, oh man, you should do that and paywall stuff. And it's just like, I know for me personally, when I run into a paywall, I'm out. So I just, I don't want that for anyone that, you know, took the time to come to my website. It's the last thing I want. Um, He says, sorry for gushing. I love gushing. Uh, Go for it. Actually, more emails of gushing will be perfectly fine. We'll read them all out, like every every episode, even if it's the same one. Every single email that includes gushing, I will read. Um, Which I swear used to be a sponsor for you guys at some point, surely, I wish. Uh, But wanted to utilize this one chance to get in in touch in case we can't do it again. Man, you can email anytime. That's fine. Uh, With regards to questions, the first one is probably easy, but the second one is a little personal, personally slanted. So... Uh, I hope you don't make fun of me too much for it. Okay, let's see. Question one is referees. Do you think the send-off for Matt Chechen was... Do you think the send-off for Matt Chechen was worthy of his stature? I know he was not quite as prolific as Bill Harrigan, but as the first ever openly gay official and such a long-serving stalwart and personality of the game, a small interview slash media release and a quarter final game surely didn't seem enough the players did more for him at the end of the game than the bloody nrl did i hope fox league hires him occasionally or something as much as they can be skewed they're not they're they're a lot more open to diversity than channel nine he's so right he's so (laughs) fucking right it's amazing and more importantly is there a reason why grant atkins yes he's hot not the point <laughs> can't seem to get a decent crack at the big time and we get stuck with Sutton Cummings and Klein. Are they blowing someone to stay in their jobs with the amount of mistakes they make every season, sometimes every round, and still then get prime time slots while not even trying to blood new talent? Remember the big deal being made over Casey Badger and Belinda Sharp slash Sleeman as female referees. Yeah, let's apparently pretend we never did that and leave them on the sideline because Belinda made one mistake and Casey is married to a referee. They don't want to referee anymore. Just wanted your take on it, guys. What did you think about that? The NRL and even its predecessor, New South Wales Rugby League slash ARL, have never really made too much of a point of celebrating referees too much. Mm. Um, That's not to say they haven't. Um, in the very early days, I'll go back to uh, the, episode, the history episode we did on uh, Ted Hooper. They'd celebrate him in a different way, in an almost jovial manner. And that would, that would make referees play each other in the half-time break between an actual official game. Mm. And sometimes they'd get um, a long-serving referee to be the official in that game. It was very rare that it happened. It might have happened like two or three times. I'll have to check. But um, with Ted Hooper, he officiated one of those games that was actually happening, having to be the last day of his of his life because he passed away in the uh, the dressing sheds after. But oh, yeah. um, Ted Hooper was also made a life member of the uh, the New South Wales Rugby League too before that, uh, as was uh, with Tom McGrath. I can't remember. Um, yeah, some of the the inaugural referees, were all, I'm pretty sure they were all made life members. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you don't get that happening much anymore. Um, I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes, this is just being cynical, I wonder sometimes it's just because the mainstream media, most notably News Limited, had such a huge ownership of the NRL and they spent most of the time shitting on referees that it seemed a bit contradictory, I guess, to be shitting on the referees on one hand and then praising them with the other. So, yeah, no, or, you know, or, or celebrating them anyway. Yeah, and no, I think there's a definitely culture amongst, especially uh, NRL referees, where they feel as though the perfect job you can do is at the end of the game, no one's talking about you. And yeah. so, in a weird way, that is, I, I understand what you say. I, I understand the point that he's making, and I understand that he's like, there should have been more made of it. And I, I get that. And if it happened, I wouldn't have any problems with it. If a long serving referee retires and we do something for them. But um, I think for the referees, that's kind of, that's kind of their aim is that they don't get talked about. And it's kind of the ultimate thing for a, an Australian referee is that not once like the, the perfect game for them is that, no one even can tell you who the referee was for that game. That's the perfect game. And maybe there's a little bit of that culture wrapped up in it. Um, as for the not blooding new referees, uh, I think that when they went back to t- from two referees to one referee, it was a hammer blow to the development of referees in the NRL and really cut down on the number of, of referees within the top flight and within the game and the opportunities available. And it was a bad thing for the sport. And it's one of the reasons we need to go back to two referees. And I do feel sorry for the likes of uh, Belinda and Casey Badger because they were on the verge of getting that start as a pocket referee. And then you move from the pocket referee into being the main referee. And that's all gone now. Now you've got to be thrown in the deep end as the number one referee. And there's, you know... Or, or you run the sidelines forever. Hey? Or you run the sidelines forever. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's it's not a good system. No, it's they've completely destroyed it now. Um, as for as for Belinda and um, and Casey, I mean, when you got a, <laughs> you just knew the minute that they made just one one fuck up, and it's only going to be a small one, and it's going to be one that every other referee's made before them, probably even several times every year. You just knew as soon as they made one, the morons in the mainstream media, the old white fogey men, be going, oh, this is why we shouldn't have women as referees. Mm. It's just bound to happen. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that they're still doing it. I'm glad they're still they're still doing officiating at the highest level. Uh, I'm glad they're still trying their best to, to, you know, get back on the field as a main referee. Um because they're <laughs> they're pushing against a, a pretty old tired system there. They really are, and, uh, and it's everyone is. It seems it's it's a little they've bit. Been doing, weird. They, they've been doing bloody great jobs the whole time up until then, and we're not allowed. Yeah, you know, the media can't can't forgive one small judgment error. Yeah, come on, fucking hell, it's That's petty and stupid. So question two, poorly treated players. As a predominantly manly fan, 
I'm completely baffled by Hasler's consistent snapping of fantastic players on the periphery. For example, Brendan Elliott, Cade Cast, and Jack Goss, Goslinski, Gachuski, Gachuski. I think it's pronounced Gachuski or something along those the lines. Gooch. I'm going to call him the Gooch from now on. Um, I think I spelled that correctly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> look, you're you're um you're faultless with your pronunciation tonight. I'll, I'll say that much. All right. Uh, just to name a few who play during DCE and Turbo's various exploits out of the team and often did better than the originals did. For example, Elliot crushed it for the most part during the 2019 final series when Old Mate was out. And what did he get in return? Ignored. Kate is killing it in the lower grades well before they got scrapped this season. And in return, excuse me, in return he gets left on the bench occasionally in favour of Lachlan Croker who can barely pass the ball correctly, but yet the commentary on Fox praised him in the finals for keeping the team steady. I'm sorry they let Appy go to keep Crocker, but ignore cast in favour of Crockett and Foran. Now, as someone who doesn't play, but has been obsessed for years, I'm in no way saying that I'm an oracle about this, which is why I wanted your take on it. Is there something they do wrong? that I'm not seeing because I'm not an analyst or is Hasler blind to the abilities because he's loyal to certain players? Would love to hear what you think. All coaches have a little bit of loyalty to certain players. It's not a personality thing either. Sometimes it's a little thing that they do that works perfectly with other players around them, even if there's a lot of other things they do that's bad. Um, Elliot was a he's a curious one. There'd be times when I'd see him play and go uh, you don't belong here, buddy. And there'd be other times he'd play very good games of footy. Um I think he was getting those those crappy games out of his system. It was about halfway through twenty nineteen he started to actually properly improve. Um don't know why Des went off him, but he did pretty quickly. Um, and ended up, I think he's playing at Lee. Played for Lee Centurions this year, I think, from memory. Oh, wow. Um, so he, he actually struggled to get a, a gig in the NRL at all. Um, some players, especially with, with Dez, he likes to have his, his centers to be probably better defenders than attackers. Yeah. And Elliot probably didn't quite fit that mold as well. Um, so I don't know what it is there. With Kachuski, uh the problem he had there is is Schuster came into the side and showed he had quite a lot of skill and potential in his very first game. And you had to start trying to make way for him at that stage, knowing that you had yeah, established spine already. So Schuster was gonna to have to go somewhere. Um and so if you've got a talented youngster coming along and you, you can see the potential in him, a coach is going to harness that and, and try and try and give that player a lot more time over someone who's probably a little bit older, a little bit more established and may have struggled to crack it in as a regular and first grader at that stage. So I think that's all that happened there with him. Uh, who else was there? The other one, the only thing I found surprising about Des was the fact that he went and got Kieran Foran back again. I was surprised I by that. Didn't think he'd go there because that did come at the expense of Cade Cust. And I think Cust 
I think Cust looked pretty good when he was playing in the NRL. Mm. Um, so that, that was a bit weird. Was Cust the one that retired? I can't remember, to be honest. But I, I just thought getting four and four and played so many more games than I expected him to. And he played pretty damn well, considering. He did, he did. But there's it's not like you're going to see him get immensely better at this yeah, stage. Exactly. But you're not going to get a ton of years out of him either. No, and, but we've talked about it before. Co- coaches like a known quantity. They like players they have relied on in the past. And if you can if you can get yourself on their good list, you, you're going to go all right. I think Tyrone May is a really good example at Penrith. You know, he, he is a known quantity, even though he's not a very good player. And, well, you know, that's not to mention other stuff. But if a coach thinks in their head, you know what, I, I know what I'm getting with this person and they won't fuck everything up, that that can get you a career. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, his third question, he says, a more serious question for question three. As a bisexual 36-year-old, I grew up watching NRL almost shamefully because my friends were all nerdy types or straight people who thought it was all homophobic. My And then he says, my part of Brizzy, where I grew up, essentially were soccer fanatics. And then he says, so I eventually got Foxtel slash Optus Vision subscription and watched as many games as I could from 2004 onwards when I could do it without caring what other people thought all the time. I watched every single iteration of NRL 360 back when Warren Smith hosted the panel show with Gary Freeman. It was actually pretty good back then. Yeah, that was good, actually. Yeah, uh, Woz should be hosting more programs when he gets to give an opinion. He was surprisingly insightful, like Fossey can be. And when Greg Alexander hosted Monday Night Football pre-shows, where they even gave opinions and not just half-baked analysis. Sorry to land the plane I grew up, never thinking I'd see myself on TV when it came to the sport I love. Yeah, sure, Ian Robbins was there, but I was a kid when he played. So I was wondering, is it possible that there are more LGBTQ, et cetera, et cetera, and then in uh, thing he says queer, and then he says current players that just aren't out, or are they still in a cycle of being afraid to be out? I find it hard to fathom that 16 times 30 players can all be 100% heterosexual. Do you think if a player came out today that they'd be successful or would there still be an issue? Do you think we will ever have another player represent us in that that isn't in the female league? Why are they so comfortable and able to be out and proud and the main NRL isn't. So I think he, what he means is there's uh, lesbian players uh, in the NRL that are pretty open about it, but not so much uh, homosexual players or gay players in the NRL. He says, sorry again for the long-winded rant. Um, I wanted to give context to my random questions. I truly love your show, 
and as a graveyard servo shift worker, some nights your voice is the only connection to the outside world I get, as crazy as it can sometimes be. Keep up the great work, and if you don't put my questions up on your podcast, I'd love an email slash chat with you guys at any point. Uh, that you have time to just hear your opinions. Finally, for your information, my number one team to support has always been Manly slash uh, Manly sm- slash Penrith combo. With Tigers, my second favorite second favorite team. <laughs> if you put a gun to my head, if you put a gun to my head, my heart will be with Manly. But I don't like them as much. Not since they got rid of Tuvi. Okay, back to his question. Right. Um, I I actually think. Mm-hmm that there's probably been several homosexual or even bisexual players in the past. Mm. But um, because it was genuinely taboo uh, immensely, you know, even into the early 90s, mm-hmm. um, there's no way of knowing about it. So the closest you can get is looking at... Um, Curious behaviours, and when I say curious behaviours, it's based on what little information there is about players. And when I say curious is that they would behave in very different ways or had very different circles of people or colleagues or they would abandon their families in order to be with specific people. Um, But, again, you're drawing a long bro to try and, you know, if if you have to try and make that conclusion. Um, because no one would ever admit, especially as a rugby league player, um, you know, around World War One, World War Two times, no one would ever openly admit to being uh, homosexual. They would probably never admit to it for most of their lives. Yeah. Um, so it's um, it's understandable given the the attitudes towards that in the past. Yeah, it's. A little, I guess a little disappointing that there seem, seems to seems to be somewhat of a uh, a continuation of those attitudes today. As much as we've had all the education, and to be honest, most people couldn't care less if they're working or playing sport alongside someone who's, um, you know, got a different sexuality to what they've got. Um, I, I think. Um, to some degree, in a good sense, a lot of it's been normalised to a certain degree. So I don't think it's the taboo or big concern today than it would have been in the past for a lot of players. Um, not that it was a concern anyway. It's just, you know, homophobia, you know. Well, like, um, I, I think back when Ian Roberts come out, and it wasn't – and I don't know what Roberts himself went through, and it was a very different time in terms of media. So you didn't get a – a more full picture like I think you would now. But I, I feel as though when he come out, I I never really heard anyone take it negatively. Like I it like he, he had a pretty long career after he come out. And still the most scared I've ever seen somebody on a football field is when uh and I think I've told this story before when Wendell Saylor was in the tackle and he pushed the wrong guy and it was and who we thought was roughing him up in a tackle he gets up, plays the ball, push the guy in front of him, and the, the guy that was roughing him up had moved, and the guy in front of him was Ian Roberts. And the game kind of stopped, and it was just Ian Roberts had a fistful of windows. Yeah, everyone, everyone just went, ooh. Yeah. That's the thing, though. Ian Roberts had a fistful of his jersey. He was just standing over him, just growling, and Wendell was just copping it. 
that's the thing too, you know. I I remember as a kid, I used to love watching Ian Roberts play, and I just thought it was fascinating how someone could be so tall. Yeah. And yeah, kind of like I guess Mark Guy, very similar build, tall, yeah. rangy, mm. but so physically imposing and and dominant. Like usually especially going through the 80s and the 90s, if you had someone who was a tall forward, they were built like Paul Sirenin, mm-hmm. you know, big and solid. Yeah. Um, that's not to say Ian Robertson and MG weren't solid. They just looked a little bit, you know, not so much slender of frame, but I suppose a bit more um, rangy, so to speak. Well, they had, back then, they, like if you brought both of them into the current NRL, you would not be able to pick them out in terms of having lesser of a physical presence, you know? And whereas I think back then that like, like a lot of bigger forwards were carrying a bit more weight. Whereas they seem to be naturally just athletes that didn't carry that weight. But as you say, it, because that weight wasn't there, you kind of looked at them and thought, well, they're a bit slimmer, but, like, they were 115 kilos still, you know? They were yeah, huge. and that was just all muscle. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah, I used to love watching Ian Roberts play. And when, when word came, you know, it was the whole media thing came out saying that he was gay, I was like, so? Yeah, I was kind of the same. I was like, you know, all right. And then I think the, the best marker is Matt Chechen. When he come out as gay, um, it it, it kind of wasn't really a story. It was like, all right. And I felt like that that showed that rugby, rugby league's always been a pretty tolerant sport, especially for the times that its tolerance has been tested. Like if you go back to like the 30s or something and you rate it against what happens today, you're going to find examples where it might not seem as tolerant. But for the 1930s, it was extremely tolerant compared to everything else in society. And I think that it's been like that through most of its time because it has been a game where it was it, – because of the way it was formed and it was formed away from the establishment, there was this feeling of like, you you know, we don't want to do what establishments normally do to people. And so I thought when Matt Chechen come out, it was a really good example because it was like he come out as gay and it was like, okay, and, and that was it. And it kind of – it wasn't really mentioned again and it wasn't something that was thrown at him and things like that. It was just cool, man. I'm glad you, you can feel like you can say it and you know that it's cool. You know, we're not going to – there's not going to be any blowback from it. Like there might've been once upon a time. And I feel like if a player come out now, it would be a similar sort of thing. I I think that it would be, uh, you know, just cool, you know, as long as you, and at the end of the day, if you can play footy, I I don't think anyone would really care about any of that sort of stuff. I, I think that, you know, it's kind of the similar way that it happens in the WNRL, to be honest. But, and I think that, in terms of the numbers and, and the reflection of society um, with the NRL, th- I mean, there must be some gay players and, you know, maybe they just want to keep it personal and I can understand it, I guess. Um, it's just up to the individual at the end of the day. I think that's what it is. 
Possibly. I mean, there'd still be some apprehension about it. I think it's a, um, but that's more of a societal thing as well. Mm. I think there's, there is a, a fear amongst some, um, you know, non-heterosexual people that they won't be accepted for their sexuality being non-heterosexual. And that's because of the way a lot of them have been treated in the past. And that's, you know, 100% understandable. So when you're in an environment which is, you know, Aussie, blokey, boofy, blokey, larrikin type thing, um, it's probably a bit more worrying to try and come out with that because you're coming out as being um, vastly different to the bulk of the status quo. And so there's also a concern that you might get treated differently or opportunities might be um, that would otherwise go to you might go to somewhere else because of that. And I think that's a genuine fear that would probably exist there. I'm not saying that would happen. I'm just saying I think that that genuine fear would exist because of that. So, um, and again, that comes down to previous attitudes towards people who weren't heterosexual in the past. And, you know, that stigmatization lasts a long time for a lot of people. Mm. Um, Okay. So the next one is I've gone to the website now. And this could take a while (laughs) (laughs) because I had a changeover of how I did the comments. So um, the website caught them and now they go to my email properly. So fluffing um, for time. Exactly. I am. Yes. Nui Ash. Of course. And he says podcasting creme de la creme. I just sat through the full match replay of England versus France. Alcohol helps get through some of the tough times in life. Serious <laughs> question. If the English national team was an NRL side, do you think they would make the top eight? Pause no. to discuss. <laughs> no. I wasn't supposed to pause, sorry. Pause. No. Yeah, I, I don't think they would. I think I, I wonder when I watch them play whether there's much difference between them and the West Tigers. Because the West Tigers this year, I wrote this, I should read it out. I had to write a, a season summary, sort of a season review thing for the West Tigers mm-hmm. uh, for the League Unlimited website. Mm-hmm. And uh, it got published earlier this uh, this week. And so I've got a few few lines in there to sum them up. And I think you could use exactly the same lines or a lot of them anyway, for the English side over the last several decades. The West Tigers have struggled for success for the last decade now, but in 2021, we all got to watch almost perversely at their dire operation, courtesy of the Wild West docuseries. They bumbled from woeful performance to one woeful performance before jagging an occasional fluky win all season long. They won enough games to stay out of the wooden spoon race, but none of the players seemed to know how they won any of those games. <laughs> Yeah, look, I I just thinking through their lineup, their halves were the worst halves. They'd be the worst halves in the NRL. Um, their outside backs can't defend. I'm just, I'm sorry, English outside backs can't defend. Their forwards aren't terrible. Um, they probably have all right depth there. The forwards They're, always been pretty good, and I think it's a lot of it's because some of them end up having to play as centre, so. Attacking wise and lateral movement wise, they're very good. That's always I, I, that's been a case for a long time. 
Yeah, and I, look, I don't mind the occasional English forward in an NRL side, but I wonder how they'd go as a pack. Um, hooker, nothing. And and I'm going by the team that played France, by the way. Um, and, yeah, so, I, I no, I don't think they'd make that team that played France. No, I don't think they'd make the NRL finals, no. Um, I think if they played someone like the West Tigers mm-hmm. 10 times, both sides would win five games. That's where I put England. That, like, legitimately, that's where I put England, at whatever it is the Tigers are doing. Because the teams below the Tigers are pretty average. And yeah. They would, they could beat England on a good day, but England would, should probably beat them as many times as they'd lose, if not one or two times more. I think the West Tigers is kind of the English level internationally. Yeah. Uh, then he says, then return for the second part of this email. He knows us really well. He <laughs> really does. He's got enough of these ones now. Oh, jeez, listen to this. By now you have decided they would not make the top eight. <laughs> That's hilarious. Discuss, you know as well. Yeah, discuss their chance of getting the wooden spoon and compare how competitive they would be versus the West Tigers. Done. Oh, shit. This is crazy. He sent this on October 25th. It's like he was listening to us. Uh, the English team I just want, watched would struggle to compete uh, in the state competitions. To be honest, I'm surprised they haven't addressed what we all know is the real issue here. A diet comprising of more than 50% gravy may not be conductive to good on-field performances. Pizza Hut in the UK has added this classic British jam to their menu this year, which will no doubt impact Super League sponsorship negotiations in the future. Now, let me just... He sent a link. He says, cheers, a relatively drunk Ash. And I'm going to go on this link. Hopefully, this doesn't ruin the podcast. It's it's not going to be tuna on pizza, is it? Pizza Pizza Hut has created... A roast dinner pizza, <laughs> gravy and roast potatoes. <laughs> it's the it's the Pasco Pommy pizza. Holy shit! <laughs> okay, so it says if you ever had a pizza and thought this is great and all, oh. but I could do with it being a bit more roast like, you know? Well, you're in luck. Bringing together the great British roast and one of Italy's finest exports that folks at Pizza Hut have launched oh. the roast dinner pizza. Okay, it says oh, instead of a tomato base, it'll have a red wine gravy ba- sauce Oh no! topped with, hang on, topped with roast beef, sage and onion stuffing with thin slices of roast potatoes and red onions. What? No Yorkshire pudding? The new hybrid dish is part of Pizza Hut's new staycation or vacation-inspired inspired menu, which also features Spanish-inspired pizzas with paprika chicken. Uh, okay, blah, blah, blah. Back to the roast pizza. Will gravy sauce make it sloppy? Does stuffing really have any place on a pizza? Will it taste of broken dreams? Who knows? i got to say, it sounds, it sounds not too bad. But I don't know that it's a pizza. That sounds fucking horrible. You reckon? Yeah. Don't, want, to, don't want a bar of it. Listen. Okay, this was sent. This was an article from me. If we have an English listener and they can get their hands on one of these pizzas, get one, eat it, and then record a review in a quiet room on your phone and send that into us at podcast 
at leaguefreak.com. Send the audio recording of that in yeah, and give us your view of it. Send us some photos of the thing before you devour it yeah. or throw it in the bin, whichever you choose to do. That is interesting. To that say sounds woeful. Okay, let's go on to the next email. Have you got enough time for more emails, Andrew? We've got two more. Yeah, go yeah, for it. Thank you. This next one is from Isaac. He says, hey, guys, I only just and he sent this on October 26th. Hey, guys, I only just started listening to your podcast since the semis and loving the banter and insights. You obviously have a great rapport. So just wanted to extend my thanks for letting us listen in and keeping it real. What people don't realize is me and Andrew actually hate one another, really. When the podcast's over, we don't talk to each other. We're like every every classic radio duo. Can't stand one another. Hey, Andrew. Fuck my prick. <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought I was on mute. What was that, mate? <laughs> what was that, mate? Buddy? Pal? How you going? A good friend. God, can you imagine what it's like being those those people, though? It's got to yeah, be the, rough. The shitful humans. Yeah. Pretty much, know, what, I was going to say, pretty much nearly every single one of our podcast episodes is just us going, we're ruining a good podcast here. Quick press yeah. record. Bam. Yeah, pretty much. Um. <laughs> You know, yeah. Like if people knew how many podcasts we just didn't record and we did, that's <laughs> right. It's fucking so many. Um, in a world full of repetitive dribble, it's refreshing to hear you guys tackle significant themes such as trying to break down the mystery of management struggles at the West Tigers. Have a couple Which of Which we repeatedly do. <laughs> You're only covering fifty seven of our episodes this year. Um have a couple of questions slash issues which I'm hoping you can help with or maybe even use for discussion. Number one, one of the main reasons you guys resonate is because I come from a similar universe where my mate is a tiger and I'm a panther. There you, you go. Need, you need uh, to give your... Commiserations to your mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've always talked footy a way more primitive dialect than yourselves, and up until recent times shared similar frustrations with our team's lack of success and annoying, festering annual hope only to be dashed with that consistent and wonderful mediocrity by season's end. Anyway, I was surprised to hear recently that my mate, let's call him Travis, I bet his name's really Travis, revealed that he was hoping my team would lose in the finals because he suffers from severe case of Ivanitis. I didn't realise the hurt he was still so strong that it would trump his mates, me, own spiritual nirvana by denying his team the chance to win the title. I've repeatedly told him over the, over the years that he needs to move on from the injustice of a father choosing to coach his own son he got one. He got one himself. So, oh, he's got one himself. So, thought that angle would work. And he now has plenty of other characters at the Tigers where he could d- redirect his ire. The pain is real, and the desire to inflict detriment to anything associated with success to Ivan equally so. Is there any advice you can give? Uh, is there any advice you can impart? to help him let go of his grievance or is an unreasonable expectation which will stay ingrained in his DNA forever? And then he says, apologies if you've already previously addressed this critical humanitarian issue, 
So if there's an issue that pro- provides a solution, let me know so I can review it. So what do you reckon, Andrew? You, you as a Tigers fan, you, I don't think you've got Ivanitis. Um, no, fuck no. I tell you what. One thing I've said to a few Tigers fans mm-hmm. who have, oddly enough, got Ivanitis, but well, obviously also celebrating about the fact that we landed Michael Maguire as his replacement. As I've always said to them, who would you prefer to be the coach of the West Tigers, Ivan Cleary or Michael Maguire? Pick one, and that's the last we speak about it. Because if you pick Michael Maguire, therefore you admit that he's an upgrade on Ivan Cleary, so why does it fucking matter where Ivan Cleary is? Mm -hmm. Move on. If you're saying Ivan Cleary, you can have Ivan Idis then. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I, I will a... also put this to you as well. Um, if, he's, if he's got Ivanitis, but he also likes the West Tigers, say to him, if you like Ivan so well, how the hell can you approve of all the signings that he made for the West Tigers while he was here? Because they held us back for the last three fucking years. The guy's a fucking dud. It's glad he's fucking gone. I know none of that's all true, but you can you can frame an argument around that to try and sway him to dump the whole Ivan Itis thing and make Ivan look like a dickhead. Yeah. And if it need help to say, oh, we really weren't a premature penalty, no, no, no. There's a strong core of young juniors that came through there. Fucking Fred Flintstone could have coached him to a premiership. That's that's the line of argument. You go there, okay? None of that none of that is legit, but you've got to frame an argument that you can back it up with with some sort of fact. That he, you know, he's you got to remember he's blinded, so that sounds like irrefutable evidence. And because you're shitting on your own team in the same process, it's easier for him to accept. You see, that's see, I, I I would say to your friend, I would sit him down and say, look, I I realise you've got these feelings about Ivan and his rampant success at Penrith since rejoining the club. And the important important thing to remember is that success is going to continue for many, many years to come. So you're going to have to overcome this, my friend. And then say it's very much like a grand final that was recently played. There's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. And you need to realise what side of the fence you're on. Because you as a Panthers fan know what side of that fence you're on. And your friend's just going to have to get fucking used to the bitter, bitter taste of Ivanitis. Every fucking year we win another premiership because it's not just him. It's his son. It's his wonderful son. And they're going to continue to win not one, not two, not even three, five, six, seven premierships. This is the start of an era in rugby league that is going to be unmatched by anyone, even the Dragons. So your friend needs to get used to this, and he needs to do it really quickly, okay? Because at the end of the day, he needs to watch something in September or October, and it's not going to be Tigers. It's going to be Penrith. Or Formula One. Well, one of the two. Yeah, pick one. Yeah. (laughs) Either way, pick one. His second question, do referees uncover this? I find it truly hard to believe that anyone can be a neutral supporter 
and refs are not immune. How can they not support a team if they follow the game enough to want to officiate it? I've always wanted this, but didn't think there was a qualified platform where this issue could be promptly raised. I am now taking the chance with you guys. This arose again after a recent noise about one of the refs, I think it was Atkins or Klein or perhaps both, being a member of some Penrith Referees Association. Mm-hmm. Food for thought. Does a ref supporting a team even guarantee favoritism? If anything, no. it could work in the opposite, where the ref could seek revenge for all the flack they copped during their district days. Well, not also, even that. They probably will officiate harder against the team they support in a way to try and prove that they're not giving them a favour. Well, but I, think, I don't think that even exists. No, I think it's kind of like a player playing for... If, you know, he grows up a St. George fan and ends up playing for the Bulldogs. It just is, you know, he goes out, he plays football, oh. he does his job, and, and it's it like sort all of the players who change clubs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I can put I, on another jumper and represent this team with all my heart. You know, referees do the same, except they're not representing a team, they're representing the rules. Yeah, and they, they're out there, they do their job, and that's kind of it. That's kind of what they do. And, and the thing about that Penrith Referees Association one, I can't remember what referees it was, but it's like they all refereed somewhere to begin with, you know. Exactly. It's, it's fucking it's, stupid. It's so weird. Um, okay. If, um, uh, okay. Similar, similar, uh, similar applies to commentators. As an example, oh, it's like... Different. Yeah, very different. When Gould went more overboard in the grand final commentary with his insistent incessant whinging at how the rabbits were consistently getting the raw deal. Was that his way of letting the audience think he was actually impartial and thought none of us noticed? Anyway, I've ranted enough and I realize I've probably raised two topics which could turn into their own episodes. If done, if not done so already, hopefully it made some sense. So feel free to use as inspiration if looking for something to cover over the off season, because I'm sure you'll have some interesting things to say. Thanks again for taking my feedback and keep up the great work. Thank you for that one. Absolutely. Feel good played for South and Penrith. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. yeah. He was just being favorite to all the teams he played for really. Yeah. Look, I, I don't, as I've said, I said this a couple of weeks ago as a Panthers fan. I, I when he calls Panthers games and people are like, "Oh, he's favouring the Panthers," I continue. It, it is not like Panthers fans are sitting there going, "Oh, he's favouring us." We're like, "Please, can you shut the fuck up, Phil Gould? You are fucking mind numbing. He's tedious. Ah, um, uh, it really is. It really tedious. Um, next year, um, it's probably going to be a good thing next year because he's going to be at the Bulldogs. Yeah. They're probably not going to win much, so you know, he's going to have much to crow about. <laughs> the last one we have here, but I will check the spam on the website just to be safe. <laughs> it's from someone called the French-loving German from Switzerland, a.k.a. Carsten. Oh, put, I... put your children to bed, people. Yes. <laughs> this could get a bit rough. Where's the sensor button? He says, one... Oh, jeez, we're getting... (laughs) Continue. I'm worried. Read the fucking YouTube comments on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shit. Fuck it. Next next episode, I'm going to go through all of the YouTube comments on every episode. Okay. We're going to do that. He says, two, 
I have holidays from the 2nd to the 12th of November. Do we make a live show? And then yes. he says, not sure of the conversation, not sure if the conversation will be cleared for a podcast. Always Andrew's fault, by the way. <laughs> Look, all I can say is, I'm possibly. And then he says, wait, then he says, cheers from the Alpine Fortress. <laughs> like to say that I I think I'll, I I lay a pretty mean uh, garden path. Yeah. Um, and Carsten likes walking down those. <laughs> he likes walking a long way down those. Yeah. <laughs> a a, a lot I, further than we would care to do. It, well, the problem is to... I know enough about history that I can just run down them paths and be like, oh, you know. Likewise, likewise. It's... it's uh, it, Carsten likes to sort of skip down those paths. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Well, merrily, Carsten, merrily. I, I hope you've enjoyed us reading your uh, your email out as you're sitting there on the balcony of the eagle's nest <laughs> and uh, just enjoying listening in. And yeah, we'll do we'll do. Uh, Carsten yeah, would be one of the few people that would absolutely love the fact that the referees officiate from a bunker. One hundred percent. He would love that. Love it. Um, <laughs> the uh, we will definitely do an episode with Carson. I don't think if if we it, the the episode we had to scrap with Carson. I know some people heard it on the live stream. We had to take the live stream down immediately. Yeah. But it was the funniest conversations I've ever had in my life. It went places which were uh, horrific and. <laughs> Like, just unbelievable. <laughs> it's um, it still exists. I've got it on my computer. It's yeah. uh, it's fascinating. But yeah, we'll we'll do a we'll do a live show. We'll do a safe one because he's on the other side of the world. So we'll do one at a time that's suitable for him, yeah, and not suitable for most of our audience. So we'll be pretty safe there. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully, this one will get published. <laughs> And if not, well, we'll keep it for ourselves again. But, yeah, we'll, we'll work on something out there, Carsten. We've been talking about getting you back on sometime so we can actually record something with you. Yeah, I think I think we've just been, like, we, we know it's going to be so damn good that just looking forward to it is just, like, makes us giddy, you know? Yeah. So we'll, I suppose we could probably try and find some footage, maybe an old replay or something like that to bring up. Um, of football? Yeah, or... We've, we no. do have a, a rugby league documentary from England to go through and watch from the 80s. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, that would be cool. There, there be might be enough safe content there for him to steer clear of talking about other countries. Yeah, yeah. He likes to talk <laughs> about certain countries. Um, and, and, yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's all I'll say. So they're all of our emails. Thank you to everyone that sent in emails. If you want to send in more emails, we will read them out. So just go to the website, com, click on the contact section and just send an email through there and it'll come straight through and, and we can get them read out in the, pod, the podcast. And as I said, on all the social media, you can 
ask questions about the game. You can give an opinion. Keep the emails a little bit short and sweet. And feel free to ask us like random, like uh, life lessons and things like that. We'll go deep. It's the off season. We got we've got all sorts of avenues we can walk down. It's great. I must say this has been pretty entertaining. It kind of reminds me of the first few times we did a Ask Hinty episode. Yeah, yeah, where it was just everything was new and different, and like, uh, yeah, it's been a good episode. Absolutely. So thanks for all of you for providing us with great content, and thanks to us for providing stellar comments. Just I mean, another, just another, another of the award-winning podcast, Fergo and the Freak, really. Yeah. That's just what we do now. Can't even or, help it. Nah, it's yeah. Not we don't even try, let's be honest. It's like breathing for us at this point. <laughs> That's pretty much it. We just yeah. breathe excellence. <laughs> it exudes from our pores. Exactly. Alrighty, well uh you can check us out on the socials on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, MySpace. Check us out on all of those. Um, make sure you go over to YouTube and leave a comment on all the videos because I think on the next episode we will go through and read out all of the comments, mm. including the ones by Carsten. Hopefully they're yeah. cleared by, by uh, legal. <laughs> we'll go through and do all of that. So if you want to get something read out there, head over to YouTube and put some comments over there on our on our some of our videos. Um, it'll be kind of random because we'll be reading out replies to stuff we spoke about two years ago. We probably won't know what the fuck we said, but, uh, you know, what the hell? Let's give it a crack. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and like, while you're over there, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If you put Absolutely. in Fergun Freak, it'll all come up and yeah, go to the channel, subscribe to it, start liking all the videos and do all that shit. It's good for the algorithms and we're all about that algorithm lifestyle. Oh Yeah. Love those saucy algorithms. Mm. Can't get enough. Um, so, yeah, get into that, caper. That'd be fantastic. And make sure you uh, go to your podcast listening app, preferably iTunes, give us a five-star rating and leave a review because we'll read that out on the podcast as well as putting it up on the website and make you famous. Yeah, we love getting your name on the podcast. So... Um, because, you know, it's as much your podcast as it is ours. So anytime we can, like, get you involved, we want to. So, you know, get in touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I guess that wraps this fella up. Yep. Nothing else to plug? Not really. Go to uh, rugbyleagueproject.org. Go to leaguefreak.com. Go to the Instagram page, Fergo on the Freak Pod. Fergo Freak Pod, sorry, I believe it is on the That's Instagram the one, yeah. page. Yep. It's run by Nadine. She does a great job. Yeah, we should get her onto the Twitter account. Yeah, we should. We should. And, and the emails. And, well, <laughs> fuck it, the YouTube one. <laughs> the YouTube, definitely. Um, and, yeah, it's been a good episode, Andrew. It has indeed, Freaky. Um, but, you know, be surprised. And uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Catch us all next time.